ago. In July 1947, a small gathering of Christians who could no longer endure the separation and the enmity that existed both between individuals and churches gathered in Holland under the inspiration of Dr. Vincent Poe. The gathering was small, but the intent was great, and the result proved to be great also. These were people who knew that many and many members of the divided Christendom felt that one could not continue to live in opposition and at times in hatred of one another. They made an end. Oh, at that moment, just incidentally, to the strange and monstrous <coughs> self-satisfaction which lived and still continue to live to a certain extent in our various churches. To feel that one is right, totally right against others was a satisfaction to many because it gives such sense of security. In a jocular way, I remember one Greek bishop in France speaking at the meeting of Protestants, Roman Catholics, and Orthodox, said, we were so happy when we were totally divided because we knew we were right and you were wrong. <laughs> Not that we no longer can say that you are totally wrong. We can no longer say that we are totally right. It was a joke. He did not express his real feelings, but it expressed in a very painful way something that was reality. Yet, denominations faced one another, rejected one another, found fault both in their doctrine and in the forms of worship, in their spirituality, in everything. And yet, we all knew that this could not be true. Because it could not be true that people who were giving their lives of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm speaking not only of activities, but actual sacrifice of self, could simply not be of the fault of Christ. I remember examples during the last war of people who belonged to a variety of denominations, or were even, in their own words, atheists who showed that their humanity was so deep, so true, so real, that they were prepared, as Christ had done, to give their lives for others. 
we discovered then how true the words of Vincent Hope's were, that one cannot judge people by the truth of untruth, of the reality or unreality of what they proclaim, but by the way in which they live this reality in which they believe. I have never forgotten his words, that one can be a heretic in the strictest sense of the word, even while we proclaim all the truth which your church knows and keeps, if by the way in which you live, we give the lie to what you proclaim, to speak of love, to speak of sacrifice, to speak of giving, and to do none of it gives evidence to everyone around, not only on the fact that we do not believe ourselves, but perhaps that what we say is untrue. This was the moment when divided Christians decided to meet. Oh, for the moment it was only the determination to meet one another and to see what the result of this encounter would be. It was not foreseen that unity would emerge out of it. It was the beginning. As I remember an image given by Professor Leo Zander, who was one of the Orthodox representatives at this meeting, which has stayed with me because it is so true. He said, whenever two persons quarrel, they become alien to one another, they turn their backs on each other. And although they can still feel with their shoulder blade the presence of the other, they are infinitely far apart because they are <coughs> looking in two opposite directions. And then they start on their journey, away from one another, going farther and farther, never turning to look at the one whom they have turned away from, whom they may have abandoned, whom they may have betrayed. And then a moment comes when memories begin to surge. I have quarreled with him. We have become enemies. And yet, what friends we were before this unwanted, unfortunate quarrel. What has become of him? There was not only evil in him. Yes, what he said, what he proclaimed, was and still remains untrue. But he was my friend, and he is my friend, in spite of all. What have I done? What am I doing for him, to help him, to find his way back, at least into our friendship? If I cannot offer him the plenitude of truth, which I believe I possess. And then the enemies turn around and look in the direction of the other. They no longer look into infinity, they look at someone. To begin with, they see only 
true. Something like a tree, something like a column, like an object in the distance. And you know, this wasn't my friend, but he has no face. I'm too far to discern features in him. And then both begin to move towards one another. And the nearer they come, the more the other acquires features, human features, recognizable ones, features that were loved, features that were inspiring. It's not a monster. No. It's my friend. And the moment comes when we can discern clearly the features of the one whom we have rejected and who has rejected us. And we see that these features are the image of the Son of God. According to an old saying of the desert, whoever has seen his brother has seen his God, his God. Because every one of us was created in the image of the living God. And then the two began to look at one another, not in order to find fault, but to discover what is true, what is real in this other one. This requires generosity. It means that I'm prepared not to be afraid of meeting one whom I have rejected. It means that I will not assess myself and affirm myself as being totally, absolutely right. It means that they're prepared to listen. And to listen is something which we do not know well. When we listen to someone who speaks, more often than not, what we do is to prepare an answer to his remarks. We're not absolutely open in order to receive his message. So something begins in us which is an effort at listening, at forgetting ourselves, and of rediscovering the beauty of the other one. And then the dialogue begins. The two begin to talk, <coughs> not of what separates us, them, but of what they have in common, in search of the point at which they separated from the world, from one another, the point of dividedness. And that is a dangerous moment, because how can one do this without restarting the power? Here again, one must talk to one another, not to prove the other wrong, not to prove that one is right, but in search of what Christ would have said in search of what St. Paul calls the mind of Christ. In the process, what we have been doing for decades and decades was to try and find in our past, in the past of our denomination, what we had in common. But then very soon we discovered that when we go back into the past, our own personal past, in the past of our church or denomination, we interpret 
same things in different ways. And again, we cannot find unanimity, the mind of Christ, by doing this. Because every point which we make, every point which we examine, we see in different divergence and a time opposite way. What is the solution then? Is it a question of going back, back, back to what we call the undivided church? No, it is not. Simply because this undivided church, we do not know directly. And when we study the <coughs> documents, we read them with the eyes of the present, and we understand it according to our own minds and the recent experience of our church. What can be done then? There is one thing that can be done. And this is again something which I was told by someone whom I can't remember, but whose big words that struck me at about. He said to me, with Christendom, and each person is like a forest or a tree in it. If you go deep into the earth, you see that all the roots are mixed together. It's not separate roots or separate trees. The trees unite under the earth in the rich ground, in the life giving earth. And then the tree emerges and grows. And then we discover that these trunks grow parallel to one another. They seem to be separated by an unbridgeable distance and the time of how much we wish to go down again into the fertile ground, forget about this surge out of the earth and go back to the place where perhaps there was confusion Perhaps there was not clarity, but we were all together. No, this is not the way. Because if we look up, what we discover is that when the trees are tall enough, the fronds begin to unite. When we look at the trees that have grown to maturity, we see that the branches mix, mix with one another, and there is above the earth, a whole canopy of branches, of leaves, of flowers that can no longer be sorted from one another. And I think we are coming now to a time when having tried to find our common ground in the past and discover that even this ground, this past, we interpret too differently for it to unite us. We have said to be divided, to be separate trunks, <coughs> separate trees, and we must shoot higher and higher and higher towards the sky, towards the heavens, towards the light, until the moment comes when the branches begin to unite and it becomes one rich canopy. We are very far from it. But this is where we must go. We must recognize our common ground, our common roots. Yes, we must find all we have in common. 
Yes, that we must be prepared to be separated in all honesty and truth until we have outgrown our own visions and become one in Christ and the Spirit. Amen.